I'm Jonathan Bastian. This week on KCRW's Life Examines, most of us are all too familiar with family rifts, disagreements, and even estrangements. But increasingly, adult children are confronting their parents, even choosing to cut off contact with them altogether. Virtually every strange adult child's letter to the parent that I ever read has the word boundaries in it. And I think it's in part because boundaries between parents and children have become much more diffuse over the past four decades or so. Is this a new trend? And what's driving this shift? A greater emphasis on individual happiness, therapy, or our politics? Something like one third of families are now estranged over politics, which is historically new for us. If you look back 15 years or so, the idea that if you're a Democrat and your kid wanted to marry a Republican, you might think, well, I wish they were a Democrat, but okay, if they're a nice person and they're good to you, then so be it. Family tensions, the pain of estrangement, and how to bridge the rifts. That's coming up on Life Examined. Over the last century, the traditional family unit has evolved considerably. It's rare to find extended families living in the same house, neighborhoods, or even state. Divorce and single parenting helped to shift the equation, as did economic opportunity. And today, most of us choose our own paths in adulthood, often moving as far away as possible. And while today's world offers some amazing opportunities, the rapid societal, cultural, and even political shifts have also resulted in an increase in family tensions, especially between adult children and their parents. It's not just harsh parenting or sibling favoritism, or that they don't see eye to eye or have somewhat opposing lifestyle choices. Some adult children want a complete break and to disassociate altogether. No phone calls, no texting. A nationwide Cornell University poll from 2019 found one in four adults over 18 years old reported a current estrangement from a parent. In his recent book, The Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict, author and psychologist Joshua Coleman says that the estrangement between parent and adult child is also being fueled by an increase in mental health awareness. Some therapists advise that moving away from difficult relationships or toxic politics is better for our mental health. Joshua Coleman has helped hundreds of families navigate through family estrangements and describes the experience as, quote, incredibly painful. Today, he speaks regularly on the issue. Joshua Coleman, welcome to Life Examine. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Such an interesting subject that I think impacts families everywhere. And I know that you have a very personal tie to this. It's, it's something you were going through. Can you just tell us how this kind of subject found its way into your life? Sure. You know, I was married and divorced in my 20s and have a you know, adult daughter who I'm very close to. But there was a period of time in her early 20s where she had cut off contact with me for several years, owing in large part to my remarriage and having children in my second marriage and in some ways feeling displaced and um, other things that can kind of happen as a result of being in a blended family. And at the time, there was really nothing written to help me know how to reach out to her and you know the therapy that I got told me to do all the wrong things the way that so many therapists do today um, so for a while things got worse rather than better and it really wasn't until I kind of learned how to just stop being defensive and explaining and just learn how to empathize and take responsibility uh, that we were eventually able to reconcile. So as a result of that experience, um, I wrote my first book on the topic in 2007, When Parents Hurt, Compassionate Strategies When You and Your Grown Child Don't Get Along. And I got a huge following of estranged parents in the U.S. and other Anglophone countries um, and as a result of that, developed a webinar series that I've been doing for the past 12 years or so. Um, I also did a large research study that's been published in numerous academic journals. Um, and I wrote my more recent book that you mentioned, Rules of Estrangement, uh, based on that research and also based on the thousands of parents who who I've seen over the past um, 10 plus years or so, yeah. uh, 15 really. Uh, so... That's really, that's at this point is really almost the only clientele that I'm working with these days because there's such a demand. Yeah, I mean, you certainly, I mean, hit a nerve. And mm. just just to spend a second with you before we move on to looking at this kind of greater body of work or why this is happening, I, I just imagine that that period in your life 
when you were estranged from your daughter must have been just profoundly unsettling and difficult. And I think it's always interesting when a therapist or psychologist has to kind of be thrown into the fire themselves mm-hmm. and think, I should have all the tools to deal with yeah. this, but maybe I don't right now. No, well said. Yeah, I felt um, it was incredibly painful and disorienting and terrifying. And um, and yeah, and, you know, every estranged parent feels shame. But I think, you know, being a therapist, you know, <laughs> feels particularly shameful. Kind of like, well, you're a psychologist. You're supposed to know better than this. And obviously, um, obviously, I didn't know better. Um, but no, it was a it was a really awful thing to go through. And, and so it kind of gave me a mission to help other estranged parents because so many are going through this now and there's kind of a myth about estrangement that well you know if a parent is estranged they must have done something pretty terrible and and in fact some do you know some there certainly are a percentage of parents who become estranged because they've abused or neglected or harmed their children in some ways but these days there are many pathways to estrangement people become estranged over political differences they become estranged uh, after the parents divorce, they become estranged because a therapist who isn't very acquainted with research assumes that, you know, if the adult child has issues with depression or anxiety, then there must be some hidden trauma there. Mm. And then that puts the child on the pathway to estrangement. The adult child can get married to somebody who says to the parents, choose them or me. You can't have both mental illness in the parents, certainly, but also mental illness in the child. So there's many ways that parents become estranged today. And I think that's why it's becoming a kind of a silent epidemic. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Do you get a sense that estrangement was an issue, I don't know, 100 years ago or even Mm. less? Or have things just fundamentally changed so much in our culture that this is something that we're really just dealing with now in in much higher uh, proportions? I certainly think that it's it's on the rise for a variety of reasons. I mean, there was we have to assume that throughout you know recorded history that families have pulled apart and broken apart. Um, but um, you know, the biggest change to happen in the past half century is that it's just the nature, kind of the moral framework that guides family life, where for really millennia it was. Family is forever. Honor thy mother and thy father. Respect thy elders. And that's been replaced with for younger generations with an orientation that's much more geared towards mental health, to personal well-being, towards growth, towards happiness. And to that end, nothing compels an adult child to stay or uh, in contact or be in contact with the parent beyond whether or not that relationship um, ad, you know, is in line with that, that adult child's ideals around their identities and their mental health and their, their happiness. So um, the British sociologist Anthony Giddens talks about the way that, that our culture in the past um, century really has increasingly become um, disembedded from the institutions that guided family life for, for many years. Uh, and now we have what he calls pure relationships and that they're relationships. And this is true of family of life as well, purely constituted and whether or not that relationship is in line with that person's ideals for health and happiness. So we have this transition from role to self, from a sort of pre, from a prescribed way of being to um, to a very personal, identity-focused way of being. And, you know, the good news is that in some ways it provides opportunities for people, parents and adult children, to be closer than ever. And many adult children and parents are closer, far closer than ever. But it also introduces a lot of fragility uh, into family relationships. And I think that estrangement is part and parcel of that. Mm. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about what we imagine to be more older forms of family relationships, where I think that relying on one another, you didn't just do it because you liked it, but it was just necessary. You know, whether you were working land or business or you needed these important relationships just to function in the world. I think, you know, today you mentioned how the culture has changed, but I, to me, it's also, it, it's a much more individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. I think that even though we do seek out things like self-betterment, that can also just be a way of focusing on ourselves a lot more, for better or worse. Maybe yeah. we could talk about that too. But that we're also just profoundly scattered around the country in a way now. I mean, so many of my friends live on one coast and their families on the other coast. And I think that, to me, it seems like all of these are playing some kind of role in the things that you're talking about. 
I think that's right. I think the the interdependence that that smaller countries have. Um, people the United States don't have. We're one of the most geographically mobile society in the world, in mm-hmm. part because we have so much land and so many places to to go to in, in these large urban centers that people can, can occupy. And so people do form new attachments, and they're not kind of compelled not only by their their family to be in contact, but but by the larger community. So I do think that that has the potential to weaken family relationships. And I think what you're saying about the rising rates of individualism, people in the United States have the highest rates of individualism than any other society. Individualism is measured by preoccupation with growth, with identity, with separation, with individuation, with an orientation towards one's own personal happiness. Um, and all of those things do also have the potential to make family life much more fragile. Mm. Yeah, and even I think if we look at other cultures, and, and I don't want to just stereotype here, but I'm, I'm just anecdotally friends I know that maybe come from places more like Asia or China, yeah. or I know friends that are from, you know, South Indian areas that, that, you know, there is, I feel there, there still are more ties to the family or a sense of obligation to the family. Do you think that's true as well? I do think that's true. Um, I, I'm seeing more South and East Asian parents in my practice, but there's still the vast minority. I mean, I do think it's because of these um, more interdependent uh, lifestyles and, and at least it, you know, an emphasis more on kind of Confucian ideals of family um, obligation to parents and to elders. There's still a reverence for um, for elders and more Confucian-based societies, the idea that that older people are a source of wisdom and do a certain kind of respect. Whereas in the United States, we have much more of a, a youth culture. But even within the United States, um, Latin it's very rare for me to see Latin American parents, like sometimes do, but in Latin American culture, there's the, there's the notion of uh, familism, so this idea of, of strong family values um, in African-American culture, more, there's a greater risk for fathers to be estranged, but a lower risk for mothers to be estranged. Um, so, so the culture, you're right, uh, can really inform uh, risk uh, of estrangement. What about other things that we're seeing around us as well, like the rise of social media? Does that factor into this as well? I think there's just there's been so much more emphasis on this. I mean. You know, even the week that we're having this conversation, the U.S. Surgeon General is talking about this as like a profound risk to our health. Um, where do you see that factoring in? Well, I think in a few different ways. One is that these forums can exist as a sort of a form of, of online kin. So whether they're forums for the estranged adult child or the estranged parents, you have people who have absolutely no knowledge and no basis of fact in terms of um, uh, who that person is, whether it's the parent, the adult child, giving advice and saying, oh, well, your mom sounds like a narcissist or your adult Mm. child sounds like a snowflake and you should cut them off or you should do X, Y. And they have absolutely no true investment uh, uh, or consequence to their to their advice. Um, and I think however supportive those kinds of forums can be, they they can appeal to people's worst instincts in a certain way. Um, and I think estrangement has become, you know, whereas there's always been estrangements, never before have they become a kind of identity where cutting off somebody is, you know, an act of being assertiveness, of assertiveness hmm. and being in line with one's mental health. Um, but to circle back to the the recent research by Jean Twenge in San Diego, San Diego State, who who's done a lot of the groundbreaking work with uh, around generations and the effects of social media, particularly iPhones on um, young on, on teenagers, doing you know pretty direct link between that um, and rising rates of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and suicide attempts in in Gen Z, those born after 1995. Um, I think that's, that seems pretty well and carefully documented by her and also explicated by the um, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt at, at NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that, that is of concern to me is the role of therapy and therapists, because a certain percentage of these young people are going to end up in therapy with somebody who assumes that everybody who has depression or anxiety or suicidal ideation has a problematic parent at the helm. And, you know, at this point, 
um, we live by what um, Israeli sociologist um, Eva Elu says, uh, today our lives are plotted backwards. What's a dysfunctional mm. family? It's a family where your needs aren't met. How do you know your needs weren't met by looking at your present condition? So people are invited through contemporary therapy, including in Instagram and TikTok influencers, to assume that every present day malady has a parental cause. But in fact, you know, parental influence is a relatively small cause of adult uh, dysfunction. You know, more important is often genetics, social class, neighborhood, peer group, siblings, and random good luck and bad luck. But so many estrangements are occurring today because of this still Freudian notion, which is not supported by the science, that everything can be dialed back to a problematic childhood. I was about to say, from one therapist to another, do we blame this on <laughs> Freud? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not just that. I think it's also things like attachment theory, which is grounded, mm -hmm. I think, in some research. But I think that these terms, and I think this has to do a lot with the fact that mental health and therapy terms are now thrown around so much in social yes. media in in the public. They're like, oh, the, this must be a mommy issue. And or, you know, oh, it's the attachment style. That's the problem. And right. I, I think it really is interesting. I mean, even being trained as a therapist, we are very much taught to look at family roots or even family systems is another yeah. one. I mean, th this is where so much of therapy exists. And but I think you're making a really important point, which is say that, hey, you can have a mental health diagnosis. Your life can go off the rails and it may not have anything to do with your mother, or your father or whatever your family system was. Exactly. No, it's really true. And you're right that we're not really trained that way. We're still, still, even though so much of Freud's, you know, writing, despite his, his incredible insights, is still largely disproven. But, you know, particularly the notion of, of repression, this mm. idea that we still have so much emphasis in this culture today about, about traumas. Well, the true story about even people who've been through traumas, the vast majority, it's a story of resilience. It's not lifelong effect. In fact, only 10% of people who experience a trauma are going to have PTSD unless they've been victims of, you know, violent crime or rape or incest or or they have a whole host of other adverse uh, childhood effects. So, you know, just trauma upon trauma upon trauma, mm. you know, then the rate gets, gets up closer to 25%, but it's not 90%. And so we have people today believing that, well, I have anxiety or I have depression or I have other kinds of dysfunction. So it must mean that there's a trauma in there somewhere. And, you know, we all have traumas, but the issue of whether or not they become kind of deterministic in terms of who we become as a person is not well supported by, by the science. Mm. So do you think that in a sense, the parent, because of this and other factors, becomes a natural place to look at and say, well, this is the source of my problem. Like, are they the, the easiest scapegoat in a way for things that go wrong? Or because, But I also don't want to say that clearly there are problems. I mean, there are traumatic childhoods and there's abuse yes. and there's neglect. So yes, right. that we can get to that too. But oftentimes I think maybe they are the easiest place to kind of put some of that anger or shame or blame do you think that's true or not or, or what? I think it's completely true. No, yeah. I think I think you're raising a really good point. I think part of what's confusing for parents today is that there's been what the psychologist Nick Haslam refers to as concept creep. And that's this notion that um, over the past three or four decades we've enormously expanded in you know the DSM five, which is the diagnostic statistic manual that we therapists use for get reimbursed by insurance companies. Right. Uh, but there's been this enormous expansion over what is believed to be considered a psychiatric diagnosis. And so today, what gets labeled as emotionally abusive, harmful, traumatizing, or hurtful behavior has been completely expanded from what it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. He did his study, I think, in 2015. And so parents and, and their adult children are often talking past each other because the adult children are coming to the parents and saying, well, you emotionally abused me and my therapist said so, and it's in the DSM. Mm -hmm. And the parents are like, emotional abuse, you know, you couldn't have had a better childhood from my perspective. Yeah. So these expanding notions of harm um, are really confusing uh, the generations. And I think that there, there's a, a lot of harm that's being done by the way that we've, we've sort of made, turned everything into a pathology. And there is this assumption 
um, that yes, if you have an attachment anxiety, as an adult, or you have a personality disorder, or you have some other kind of problem, well, you just have to look back at your childhood, and, it'll, um, and there, there it will be. All yeah. you just have to look harder, basically. And, and I think it just isn't in line with the science, and we're doing an enormous amount of harm as a result. Yeah. I just had this thought as we were talking, and maybe I've kind of pondered this before, but I don't know about you. Maybe there's a sense that like everybody feels a little bit wronged in their childhood, you know, <laughs> like even if you grow up with incredible privilege, you think, yeah. oh, well, I was kind of ruined by that or I never had a chance to go be out in the real world. Or if you grow yeah. up maybe in poverty, say, well, I was I grew up in these really difficult circumstances like life is just kind of not fair any way you get it sometimes. And people are going to grow up with a sense that I, I may have had a great childhood and yet this, right? I, I, I hear right. that a lot around me. I don't know if you do too. Yeah, no, I think you're raising an important point. Uh, there was a recent study that showed that regret is one of the most common human emotions after, after love. So mm. I think this idea that you know, I could have been a contender if I'd had the you know the right kind of parenting. I could be a different person. I could I wouldn't have this anxiety, or I, I'd be more creative or more successful, or that kind of thing. And there's sort of this idea that you know parenting has changed. Where it used to be our goal was just to you know launch kids into into adulthood and let them leave home, hopefully never to return, and hopefully they'll have a good life. Whereas today, the goal, the role of the parent has become what I call a soulmate parent. They're supposed to, you know, create this incredibly um, adapted, you know, person who's incredibly resilient, can withstand all of the, you know, social forces that are now working against happiness. Um, so, so I do think this this kind of feeling of victimization that you're sort of putting your finger on has become very much a part of our contemporary culture. And it seems that, you know, within the last decade or two, even the language around parenting or the relationship between parent and child has changed. Like, not only are you supposed to be a parent, but a friend, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and you hear, you would see this on social media, like, oh, my mom's my best friend, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, huh, that's interesting. Is that... Can one be all of these things at the same time? Can you be a friend and, uh, you know, a parent that can at times step in with some wisdom or, you know, some, some hard truths? I, I don't know, but it does seem that there has been a shift in the way we understand these relationships. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a survey out of University of Virginia a while back that said that parents today aspire to be best friends with their children over the life course. And I think that is historically new and you know i feel like it's kind of nice work if you can get it part part of what's problematic these days is that parents have invested they've spent more time with their children uh, even even career mothers are spending more hours with their children than stay-at-home mothers did in the supposedly halcyon days of the 1960s uh so so parental expectations uh, because they've invested so much and because they've had more anxiety about getting their children through what can feel like the increasingly narrow bottleneck towards a successful adulthood can feel a bit like a little like you owe me, you know, which is very problematic. A little like, well, after all I've done for you and I provided all this great life for you and took you on nice vacations and maybe paid for your college or all these other things. And, you know, you can't return my text when I text you or call you. Um, so that can produce what marital researcher John Gottman refers to as the pursuer distancer dynamic, where, where you know, I think a certain percentage of estrangements happen because the parents just want more closest than the adult child reasonably feels like they want or are capable uh, of giving. So then it becomes kind of a slippery slope. And virtually every estranged, every estranged adult child's letter to the parent that I ever read has the word boundaries in it, that you need to respect mm -hmm. my boundaries. And I think it's in part because boundaries between parents and children have become much more diffuse over the past four decades or so. Hmm. Wow. So where does this kind of put us now in terms of the clients that are probably walking in your door? And I'd imagine it's a lot of very, very hurt parents. And mm -hmm. on the other side, it's probably a lot of adult children that are just trying to do the best they can and make the best decisions they can for themselves. Right. Uh, you know, like I, I, I'm sitting with all this and trying to figure out, you know, where, where do we go with this kind of stuff? Yeah, well, my method is really to, um, you know, because... Um, there's nothing that obligates an adult child to have a relationship with a parent beyond that um, the child's desire, that it's really incumbent on parents to make the first move and to take responsibility and to reach out to the adult child and to find the kernel, if not the bushel of truth, 
in the child's complaints. And sometimes parents don't know, but even if they don't know, it's still incumbent on them if they want a relationship to to take the lead. And sometimes parents will say to me, well, why should I have to take the lead? And I'd say, well, because clearly this estrangement's working for your child and it's not working for you. If, mm-hmm. if it was working, wasn't working for them, they'd probably be wouldn't be a stranger they'd be continuing to talk to you so so the estrangement is clearly giving them something that they feel like they need or want and so the job of the parent is really to try to to figure that out and to reach out in a way and also to reach out in a way that's more in line with today's today's ideals which are more oriented towards growth and happiness and protection of mental health and respect of boundaries. Um, and so often it's, it, it is incumbent on the parent to learn how, at least that's my method is to help parents learn how to communicate in that way, to not, not use guilt or criticism or shame or obligation because those things don't really, they don't work anymore. They might've, they might've worked in other generations, even if they might've produced a certain amount of resentment in other generations, earlier generations, where there was a greater feeling of responsibility that children had towards their parents, that's no longer the case. So it's much more predicated on, you know, Giddens' notion of the pure relationship. It has to be a relationship purely on the basis of whether it feels good and is in line with that person's ideals for happiness and mental health. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, in these letters from the adult children, the, the term boundaries come up over and over. What, what do you think the boundaries are that they're asking for? Do you see any commonalities? Well, it can be, um, often it's a matter of time to, to their boundaries about how often to call, how often to text, yeah. that you can't just drop over uh, to see to see me or my children. Uh, but sometimes there are boundaries in terms of um, a request for, for a greater empathy or understanding or um, taking a responsibility for the ways that the... Uh, child's life has turned out. And, you know, even though I do think that parents are, are being wrongly blamed by both therapists and adult children, often today, not always, certainly, as, as we've said, there are real traumas, of course, that have occurred for some people. Um, but I still think that parents, you know, are never going to get anywhere if they just say, no, you're crazy. You had a great childhood. I'd have killed for your childhood. That never happened. Um, it just doesn't get anywhere. It just makes the person who's on the receiving end of it feel hurt and misunderstood and pushed away and defensive and nothing good ever comes of that. It's still incumbent on the parent, even if they feel like the child is rewriting history, to find a way to empathize with how the child came to have that position. So mm-hmm. they, they're better off saying something like, well, it's clear that I have blind spots that I wasn't aware that that felt so hurtful you know, or harmful to you. Uh, but I'm glad you're telling me. And, you know, would you be open to getting into family therapy with me? Or are these things that you want me to work on in therapy? Or would you be open to giving me more feedback the next time I do that? I really want to, you know, to, to work on our relationship. And I think the notion of working on the relationship is a, con- a much more modern kind of contemporary view that older parents don't have as great of a feel for, but it's very much the lifeblood of younger generations. Mm. My guest this hour is Joshua Coleman, psychologist and author of The Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict. We'll be back with part two of the conversation after this short break. This is Life Examined on KCRW. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. I'm Jonathan Bastian, back with Life Examined on KCRW. My guest this hour is Joshua Coleman, author of The Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict. We just heard how rising rates of individualism and concerns over mental health have fueled estrangements. So what are the tips for resolutions? How do parents reach out to their adult children? And what to do if there is no hope to reconcile? Let's dive back in. So I'm still sitting with something you said earlier about, you know, a parent that 
was doing the best they could in the modern style of parenting, of providing all the opportunities they could and going on the vacations and paying for expensive college educations and so on and so forth. And suddenly the child's like, I don't want anything to do with you, right? Yeah. I mean, not only can I imagine does that produce feelings of shame, but I'd imagine for some like anger, like what? <laughs> what what about all this work I did? You know, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I can see a whole cocktail of emotions arising that a parent would probably really have to work through to even get to a place where they can sit and empathize with the child and like, you know, really be there and be like, okay, let's, let's acknowledge, you know, where I'm coming from and where you're coming from, which doesn't happen when two people are angry at each other. No, it's really true. Um, it is really hard for parents to do that, particularly because I think that I believe and I could support it that, you know, parents raising children over the past 40 years have provided their children with a much higher quality of uh, much more psychologized, uh, egalitarian, careful, sensitive, authoritative uh, style of parenting than any other generation before. So it is very disorienting when they're told by their adult child that they were emotionally abused or traumatize them or uh, that kind of thing. So it is very hard for parents to um, to respond appropriately initially to that. I wish more adult children could communicate those feelings in a way that didn't sound so blaming and critical and did first talk about the many positive things that they got from the parent rather than saying things like, you know, you're my therapist says you're a narcissist or you're a borderline or you're you're gaslighting me or you know any of these other kind of character assaults that don't really produce good conversations most parents do do the best they can even when that best is terrible and most parents care very deeply about how their children feel about their parenting so if an adult child wants a better conversation with a the parent they have to have that in the back of their mind that if they want a better response, they're gonna to have to start the conversation in a way that's going to increase the likelihood of a good response. And certainly labeling the parent as a narcissist or a borderline or a gaslighter isn't going to get there. Now, I think a lot of adult children probably start out more productively, and then when they get exasperated by the parent's defensiveness and unwillingness to take responsibility, which isn't always the case, but sometimes is, then they do start to escalate um, into the name calling. Uh, but it, it is very hard for parents to do that. I think fathers in particular, I think, you know, mm. the saying moms get sad, dads get mad. I mean, I think a lot of fathers like are like, well, screw you. You can make a, you know, you can make amends to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, whereas I think moms, you know, much more likely to internalize it, to blame themselves, sometimes past the point of rationality. And um, <laughs> so it really depends on the person and sometimes the gender. It also strikes me that I think there's a really um, interesting power dynamic at play here which yeah. is, and I, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that if the child, the adult child decides to break off from the parent, they essentially are holding most of the power in this bargain, right? Yeah. I mean, right. what I've witnessed around me is that the parents are pleading for them to get back into the child's life. And that, that in and of itself creates a difficult place to work from. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. It is, it, the, the adult child really has... In, you know, for the most case, parts of once there's been an estrangement, they have all of the power because they're the estrangement um, is working for them. It's either because they're being supported by their therapist or they're feeling like it's better for their mental health or happiness or well-being or they're now setting boundaries with with people. There's plenty of support for it for, on the, from their forums, et cetera. Whereas for the parent, typically it's all, so there's a lot of upside for the adult child. There's, um, however painful the journey that brought them to that point, the decision, there's a lot of upside to it for them. There's no upside for, for most parents, unless they have a kid who's completely mentally ill or drug addicted or just makes their life miserable every time they see them. Yeah. Um, but either way, for the parent, typically, it's all downside. It's all shame. It's all regret. It's all guilt. It's all sorrow. It's all terror about never seeing one's child ever again. And that does mean, and that's also partly why I tell parents it's incumbent on you because it's not it's not going to happen unless you make the first move. Now, maybe you'll be lucky and your child will reconcile with you anyway. But in my experience, in my research, um, it's typically the parent reaching out and really learning how to empathize with the child's complaints and take responsibility that makes the difference. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be too kind to parents here. I don't want to get too much on that okay. side. I'd imagine there are some adult children out there, many of whom I know, that really want nothing to do with their parents, you know, yep. and, and, they, and that have described 
pretty, what I would think of as traumatic childhoods where there were things like abuse or neglect. And, and, and I feel fairly safe of knowing maybe from a clinical standpoint what that could be. Can you speak to their position though for a second too and say like, hey, no, there are real moments where it may not be healthy to engage in you know any kind of relationship with a parent. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when I'm doing family reconciliation therapy with a parent and an adult child, I will tell the parent if they're continuing to behave in the ways that I think are hurtful to their adult child, I will tell the parent, I cannot endorse your child being back in contact with you unless you're willing to change this behavior. Yeah. What they're wanting from you is completely reasonable. They're wanting you to make amends for the past or take responsibility for the ways that you were hurtful or traumatizing to them. And if you're just going to insist that they're being overly sensitive or that you're right, I can't in due conscience tell them that they should be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. It isn't my position that nobody should ever be estranged from a parent. But I I do think that people are engaging in it more too quickly um, these mm-hmm. days and that there should be due diligence. But I think you're right that there probably are plenty of adult children who do do due diligence, who try for months, if not years, to get the parent to be more careful or more kindly or less critical or less shaming or less humiliating or less rejecting. Um, and if the parent just refuses and is you know, ruining that person's life, essentially, which parents kind of have the power to continue to do if they're not willing to change, you know, I don't I can't in good conscience encourage any anybody to stay in contact with somebody who's um, refusing to to do that work. Um, you know, that said, it's my wish and hope that people wouldn't do it forever because people are capable of growth and change. Yeah. And sometimes nothing is going to bring that parent to the table more than an estrangement and really kind of having to face what life is like without their adult child before they're willing and able to to dig deep enough to make the changes that the adult child is, is making. But, but certainly there are cases for estrangement, as mm. you're pointing out. And... As I think about this, and I also just synthesize it with other conversations we've had on the show or what I hear culturally, it, it, it strikes me that we're at this really strange moment with some of this stuff. You know, like on one level, we want to seek out our own personal happiness. And what that might mean is jettisoning relationships like parents or friends or whatever. And at the same time, we have another epidemic, which is of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're craving connection and love and ties and maybe for some tradition. And at the same time, it seems that we keep cutting that off all around us. And I feel like our conversation fits very much into this larger kind of puzzle that's happening all around us. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, no, I completely agree with you. I think a lot about that as well, that we have this epidemic of loneliness, atomization, social isolation, rising rates of mental illness, yet we're constantly being told we need to work you know, protect our boundaries and assert our needs and our feelings and our autonomy and our independence and protect our identities. And certainly some of that is is essential to, to one's health and, and mental health and happiness. But I agree with you that I feel like we've gone too far. We're, we're, we have a rich language of separation and boundaries and individuation. I feel like we have an impoverished language of connection and interdependence and compassion and forgiveness. And I think it's really tearing our society apart. Mm, that's really, I think, really well said. And I haven't thought about the just the amount that the power of the language of separation. And maybe you can even just share some stories about the opposite, which would be the power of reconciliation. I mean, this is much something you must, I hope, see that there are grudges that are overcome, that there are arguments that are finally settled. Um, I mean, what's it like when a family can reunify? Well, as a psychologist, there's nothing better for me. I mean, to me, that's, you know, working with a parent and adult child who are estranged, and then we start working together and helping them find ways to forgive and to have compassion and to work through kind of the negative feedback loops that perpetuate the conflict is um, deeply meaningful to me um, as a psychologist. Um, and I and, and it's meaningful because because you can see how at the heart 
of estrangement, there's still a longing for some kind of a connection and yeah. repair. You know, I don't, I don't think that people who estrange a parent do it lightly or blithely, um, even if I feel, you know, that, that too many do it too quickly. Um, but I think at the heart of it is still a wish to be understood and cared about and connected to. And I think that most people who you know, who do find a way back, whether it's through just their own kind of willingness to accept the parents' flaws and difficulties and and just not, and kind of compartmentalize that in order to get access to the other parts of the, the relationship that are good. I mean, I think going back to your, you know, the, our earlier discussion just a few minutes ago about atomization is that what people often don't realize is that when estrangement is not typically just dyadic, it's not mm. just typically between a parent and an adult child because estrangements fracture whole families. They can turn sibling against sibling. Yeah. They can turn parent against parent. Grandparents get involved, um, et cetera. So it really weakens the whole fabric of, of the culture. And that's why, you know, I've really made it my mission to try to just raise awareness about how to how to avoid it, how to heal it when it happens, because it's just such a painful thing for everybody. Yeah, and and to loop also back to something we were saying, it ties to social media and other things that politically, I'm sure America has always been divided, but it feels that we are so divided right now, and yeah. that when you say you're in one camp and I'm in another, I mean it feels almost at this point like oh we can't even we can't even see the same world through a common set of eyes, like we live in different realities. And this has come out, of course, with the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter. There, there are so many dividing lines in society that feel like you can't occupy two at the same time or step across that line. And I think that feeds also back into this question of social media we were talking about. Like, this is something I notice a lot, which is that maybe two people could have been friends or coexisted, but if somebody just posts one article on mm-hmm. Facebook and yeah. then suddenly their view has been made public then it has created a reason to sever a relationship. Like I think about, you know, how a parent might do that. They could post an article pro-Trump or whatever, and maybe the family had gotten along before, but once that's been posted, it's been official now that we can no longer continue any kind of relationship. So I I wonder if you could help me work through some of that because it seems (laughs) like it's pretty present. No, you're absolutely right. Um, And there was a study done by Pew, P-E-W, the research uh, center that found that something like one third of families are now estranged over politics, which is historically new for us. If you look back, you know, 15 years or so, um, the idea that, you know, if you're a Democrat and your kid wanted to marry a Republican, you might think, well, I wish they were a Democrat, but okay, if they're a nice person and they're good to you, then so be it. Yeah. But today people hate that idea. And um, not only that, but there's this notion that if somebody's um, in the opposing party, um, for just sort of sticking with the politics, that there are all kinds of attributions, character attributions that we make about them that are also historically new. Now they're now they're the enemy. Now we assume all kinds of terrible things about them, right. and worse, we we feel more entitled to treat them in this terrible, contemptuous, even violent way. Mm-hmm. So, so that's certainly a problem, and and also this more identitarian uh, perspective that we have that if you're you're not supportive of my identity then you're my entity you know you're you're censoring me and i'm going to censor you in response also uh is really uh fracturing our society in 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 many many ways so i completely agree with you and i think estrangement is part and parcel of that oh totally i think kind of the shame for me politically about this and and don't get me wrong there there are positions on any fringes that I find really distasteful and I can understand how harmful that would be. But that, you know, politics is often just one fraction of who we are. And we've decided once we've located that fraction in another, it's their whole being. Or oftentimes people hold a political position and like, but that's like, it's not even that well thought out. It's the thing that they do. (laughs) Do you know what I you know what I mean? Like somehow we've blown this into such amazing proportions and I get it. I mean there are major institutional problems around us. But I, I don't know if you've seen that as well, but it, that becomes more true to me more often now, I think. No, you're right. I mean, we've, we've developed this kind of tribal identity where, yeah, it's true. A lot of people don't take their politics that seriously. They don't really think through the implications of their 
decisions or even who they're supporting. It's kind of like, well, I'm a Republican, so I'm going to support the Republican nominee. I'm a Democrat, so I'm going to support Democrat, uh, Democratic nominee. And but you know, whereas before there was much more kind of porousness between the the parties. Today has become very very rigid and absolute and the kind of attributions that we make about people and the other parties is it isn't it isn't fair or reflective of who they are as a person and it also shuts them out from uh, all the other things about that person which might be really wonderful and, and enriching and um, and brings keeps them out of the family in ways that is not only bad for them but might also be bad for other people who are related to them so living in a culture that's as highly individualistic as ours is there's this myth that you know being a uh, you know an individual is like the ultimate goal but the research on um on happiness by say iris mouse at um, uh, uc berkeley m-a-u-s-s founds that found that in those countries where they define happiness as a as a function of social connection have far rates of happiness mm-hmm. higher rates of happiness than countries such as the UN- usa where we have uh, we're a much more individualistic uh, ideal around um, happiness, which is much more about me meeting my goals and my needs and my autonomy. Uh, and it's just it's just not a very good. We're social beings, and we 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 are going to wither on the vine unless we can really enrich the roots that we all grow from. No, and I mean, I think of the the longitudinal study of happiness at Harvard that's been going on for 40, 50, 60 years. I mean, yeah. pointed that what what was the key to someone thriving long-term at all the different stages of their life? It was the quality of the relationships. Yeah. And in this case, I mean, you could say, well, maybe it doesn't have to still include, you know, mom or dad, but but those are still important relationships for many to cultivate. Right. Well, and... And it gets back to the fact that these these estrangements aren't dyadic. I mean, for example, it's common if there's conflict between a parent and adult child and the adult child cuts off the parent, they often cut off access to the grandchildren as well. Mm. And that's hurtful not only to those grandchildren, some of whom have had really wonderful, close relationships with the grandparents, but it's devastating not only to the parents to be cut off from their adult child, but to be cut off from their grandchildren as well. And then often if the non-estranged, uh, if there's other children, you know, is allied with the parents, well, then they don't they don't get access to the, as an aunt or uncle as well. And so these things just become fractured further and further out, like, you know, the ripples in a pond. In a case in which there's not going to be any kind of repair work, like what do you tell a parent who may not speak to their child anymore. Like it could be, that's it. You know, that the child has moved on. I'd imagine in this case, you're almost having to move into like grief work of major loss and okay, that like, this is the reality of the situation. Yeah. It's, um, I, I find that Marsha Linehan's work who did the research on, on borderline personality disorder, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, really helpful with estranged parents because at the core of dialectical behavior therapy is the notion of radical acceptance which Mm. is that we can't always you know sometimes really terrible things happen to us uh including in our families that we can't always change and um you know the more that we struggle against painful feelings the more powerful they become so the notion of radical acceptance is that saying to yourself well it is what it is i've tried hard to reconcile with my child at this point it's in their hands it's not in my hands Uh, i'm going to stop tormenting myself over it, I will take responsibility, but I'm not going to continue to to blame or shame myself. Um, Linehan has this great quote that she says, "The pathway out of hell is through misery. The more that we fight being in misery, the more that we stay in hell." Mm. And so, wow. it's this idea that yeah, the more that we resist our painful feelings, um, the stronger they become, and that's why mindfulness meditation can be such a powerful antidote to those feelings because part of what one does in mindfulness meditation is to just work on coming back into the present accepting where you are allowing the feeling to come and to pass Um, so that's a lot of the kind of um, healing work that i do with parents who are going through this awful thing yeah well as we begin to wrap up i i wonder what message you would leave those that are listening that that are experiencing this now that are contemplating separation that are thinking maybe about also repairing i know we've covered a lot of it but i wonder if there's anything else you kind of add for those that are in this space right now making their way through it 
Well, I think on the on the adult child side, my plea is to, you know, give your parents a chance that to um, to even if they made terrible mistakes, to try to face them with that. If if you're going to in a way that it minimizes the chance of their defensiveness. Now, you may not be able to, even if you put it perfectly, cause them to not be defensive, but to 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 approach them in a way which will give them the best chance of um, being able to hear where you are and respond to your complaints or your feelings of hurt or trauma or damage uh, in ways that will really allow them to to repair. I mean, the problem is that you know, this is the intergenerational nature of trauma that traumatized parents are often more at risk to traumatize their children. Mm. Um, but, you know, often I hear adult children saying, well, you have to work on your traumas, but they're not really facing that they're really giving the parent the biggest trauma of all, which is parental estrangement. So, so my wish for adult children is to know that if you're cutting off your parent, that you know, even if it does feel like it's going to reduce your stress or feel better, you are facing your, your parent with um, devastating feelings of, of loss and guilt and sorrow. Um, and on the parental side, it's that you may have to work a lot harder to, to repair um, the relationship than you, you believe. And that means finding the kernel, if not the bushel, in your child's complaints. Even if you think you gave them, uh, your child, a great childhood, they have the right to say that, no, you no, you didn't. It's useful to think about the separate realities nature of family life, which is that a parent could credibly feel like they did a good job. And the child could look back and say, no, I actually wish you'd done all these other things differently. And both of those things are separate realities. And in every family, there's going to be a separate reality based on that person's temperament and their fam- position in the family and their relationships with other people in the family and their relationships um, with others. So so in general, I find that the more that parents can approach their adult child with compassion and empathy and taking responsibility and willingness to work on themselves and hear the child out and assume that there's good reasons for their children's complaints, that, that that can be a very powerful impetus toward the adult child being willing to uh, work on the relationship or even um, work towards reconciliation. Hmm. And to end where we began, I know that you had gone through a separation with your daughter. How how are things now? Do you feel like you you have repaired and are kind of back in a healthy place? Yeah, no, they're they're great, and they have been for for quite a quite a while. But uh, yeah, but it, you know, one never forgets those kind of uh, traumatic experiences. <laughs> hmm. Even though we're talking, I'm saying a lot about how trauma is overstated. I would say that uh, that the experience of uh, going through an estrangement is, in fact, a traumatic experience. Yeah. I don't think those those kinds of experiences ever disappear from one's consciousness, but I think it has allowed me to kind of dig deeper into what her own experience was like and how I needed to repair it. And it's given me a really good, even though every parent is different, it's given me a really good template, both for what it feels like from the parent's side, but also what it feels like from the adult child side. And um, why, why for the adult child, they can feel like it's, it's a necessary thing for them to do. Yeah. Well, my guest has been Joshua Coleman, psychologist and author of The Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Conflict. Uh, Joshua, I, I thought we were going to chat for 20 minutes and we've gone an hour because I think <laughs> this is such an important topic that, it, that I, I just think it impacts everyone. So thank you so I much do. for sharing your work with us. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's it for this week. The producer of our show is Andrea Brody. We know this issue has touched so many lives and hope the conversation provided some valuable insights. If you know someone who's struggling with the issue, please consider sharing today's conversation with them. We'd also like to hear about your experiences. Let's keep the conversation going on our Facebook group. You can find the link at kcrw.com slash lifeexamined. I'm Jonathan Bastian. Thanks so much for joining us on Life Examined. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next week.